Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Fanula J, and you're very welcome to another episode of Hooked On, brought to you by Virgin Media Ireland. In this series, we are delving into what's on offer at this year's Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival. On March 5th, actor and writer Mark O'Halloran will be chairing another In Conversation event. Last year, in a packed Screen 17 in Cineworld, he interviewed the great screenwriter Charlie Kaufman in front of a crowd of around 400, just a few days before lockdown kicked in. This year, the festival goes digital, with all screenings and events moving online to diff.ie. Mark O'Halloran's In Conversation guest this year is none other than the highly acclaimed artist and Oscar-winning filmmaker Steve McQueen, the man behind 12 Years a Slave, Shame, Hunger, and his BBC anthology series, Small Axe. Recently, our Gordon Hayden spoke to Mark O'Halloran about preparing for his interview with Steve McQueen. Plus, they spoke about Mark's career in the film industry to date, working on such films as Adam and Paul, Garage and Rialto, to name but a few. Here's our In Conversation with Mark O'Halloran. Mark, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Mark, I have to ask you, last year I had the pleasure of being on the red carpet and in your company ahead of your conversation with Charlie Kaufman. And I remember saying to you at the time, I don't know what this man is going to be like. He strikes me as someone who's painfully shy. And there was that anticipation of how he was going to go down. So before we chat about your upcoming Mm -hmm. conversation with Steve McQueen, bring me back to last year, which Mm -hmm. seems, God, a lifetime ago now at this stage. What was it like, the experience of being there beside Charlie Kaufman in the end in Cineworld in front of the audience? Well, it's always nerve wracking. I mean, uh, I get asked by the film festival to do these kind of big interviews, you know, usually one a year. The year beforehand was Paul Schrader. So Paul Schrader is famously kind of, you know, grouchy and prickly. And uh, so I was, I was, it was, I was trying to arm myself for that one. And actually he was really nice. And actually his prickliness was really interesting because he'd go, I don't want to answer that question. And you go, cool, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, let's, <laughs> let's keep going. And the conversation was fine. But, you know, he had agreed to come to Dublin. He had agreed to, you know, there was a sort of a, an overview of his career going on. Um, the way I, I, I approach interviews like this, like I'm not a cultural commentator. I've never been to university. I'm not going to give highly intellectual um, points or try to prove myself to be the greatest brainiac in the world. I literally just talk about the films and what I got off them and what other people and what reaction might have been to them and get a conversation going. So there is a bit of, bit of that. I mean, the Kaufman one was interesting because it was in a room full was 400 people like I keep Mm. thinking back to it it was like two it was it was even like 10 days away from lockdown last year and I was in a room with 400 people and Charlie Kaufman I was shaking hands with people I was I keep thinking back to it as being kind of the last hurrah before everything was was taken away but 
it was a really lovely evening, actually. I needn't have worried. I was a little bit worried that he might be shy or difficult to get talking or, you know, it might be a little bit staccato, perhaps. Mm. So I made a lot of questions for him so I could fire off question after question. And but basically we went back over his his brilliant career and we talked and I just asked him questions that fans would ask him, you know, how did he get John Malkovich to get involved in the film? How, do, you know, other things working with Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, his own difficulties with getting films made, the new film that he was about to release with Jesse Buckley and what it was like working with Jesse Buckley, just getting an Irish angle into it. It was a really pleasant evening, actually. Mm. He was just, he was a lovely, lovely, lovely man. He was open. He had made the, the trip to, to Ireland. Maybe it was the last trip he made before lockdown as well. Um, and so it was actually a real delight, I have to say. Looking ahead now to Steve McQueen, a, mm. a completely different character um, yeah. altogether. From reading about him, he can be quite tough on set. And, you know, he's he's a guy that, you know, I mean, he, he really kind of comes across like a general, that sort of vibe. Mm. Highly decorated, mm. of course, between the Oscar, the Turner Prize. He's been knighted recently as well. Yeah, so got all the accolades going and his new project, Small Axe, seems like a very personal series of films. Um, I think it's going to be more of a TV release as opposed to a big. Yeah, screen. not quite a cinema release. It's, it was released on the BBC, I think, just before Christmas. They played them or around Christmas time. And ah, right, um, okay. it's a sort of portmanteau of five films, you know. I thought when I was, you know, coming to, to view them, I was given a screener to view them and I thought they were going to be like five hour long films or mm. five half hour films or whatever. The first one is two, two hours and 15 minutes. Wow. The rest of them range between an hour and 10 or an hour and 25 minutes. Like these are full films. And um, I, you know, again, the way I prepared was that I watched all the films. I watched um, um, Small Axe as well in preparation. And I kind of just thought about what themes he was getting at and and where he got to those themes on, along his career you know he he moved in a certain direction i think um towards the exploration now of his own youth and background his own afro-caribbean heritage and all of that and that and that milieu in london that experience of of racism i suppose he, he experienced in his youth and but also the cultural cohesion within that with that 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 setting in London and uh, and and the difficulties they've had with law, with education, um, with representation, so all of that was a delight. There's also with him. There's there's this other world that you know he won the Turner Prize in 1999. He has this life as a as a visual artist using um, films that play in a gallery setting. He was also. Uh, an official Ministry of Defence war artist and he went to Iraq and he came back and made this beautiful project called Queen and Country where he made sheets of stamps with the pictures of, of uh, men and women soldiers who had died in, in, in Iraq. Um, it's a really beautiful, very touching project. Um, so there was all of, there's all of that to talk about with him. He has a reputation of being um, exacting I think rather than difficult I don't think anybody has an idea that he's difficult but he knows what he wants and he goes for it and uh, but he he's also a brilliant director for actors you know we've seen you know the, the work that he and Michael Fassbinder did together is extraordinary 
the, the, the acting in Small Axe is absolutely phenomenal, like really phenomenal. And faces and names that we wouldn't have seen before. Some of them are, are new emerging um, talent, people like Malachi Kirby. And there's, there's a whole host of them that, that, uh, that you'd see. So, you know, there's lots to talk about with him, you know. I mean, this is big time. You know, this is like international athletics for us because we're racing against boys in the south. And we have this thing to do Belfast Pride. Two of the boys are prods, the rest of us are Catholics. It's a cross-community event. I suppose the good people on the site think this is great stuff. And let's get this wee team over from Belfast and all that patronizing shite. When you think of hunger, like one of the yeah. that, like there's so much within that film, but like one of the standout scenes, you know, between Michael Fassbender and Liam Cunningham, that one shot, which just from an actor's perspective, minutes. I was going to say 17 minutes, yes. Like from 17 a- minutes long, the camera doesn't move, there's no cutaways and blah, blah. It's one shot. Um, and he was, you know, I think he has said before that there were, that, that people had said, no, you can't do it that way. But even the way that the, the, the film is structured, you know, it's a film about Bobby Sands and Bobby Sands' hunger strike. Bobby Sands doesn't appear for the first 30 minutes of the film. It's about somebody else. And then he arrives very peripherally, blah, blah, blah. And then this massive scene in the middle. And then this, this, his, his death basically is played out. But, you know, it makes very little reference to the fact that he became uh, an MP. It makes very little reference to the politics, except for that central argument where a priest has a moral argument with Bobby Sands about the decision that he's making. It's just so powerful, but also there's a, there's an audacity in it as well in that here is a visual artist, a British guy, a guy from Afro-Caribbean background who's making a film about an Irish Republican leader. Like, as his first film, it's really audacious what he does, you know. I have to say as well, when you, I love going back and rewatching Stephen Queen's work as well, because there's little things that you can pick up on. And I remember when Shame came out, there was this, you know, so much of Ferrari over you know, sex addiction. But it's when you really delve into it and there's a line in the film where Kerry Mulligan, it kind of explains everything, the, the relationship between the brother and sister and who they've become. Mm. And she said, we're not bad people. We just come from a very bad place. Yeah. And you go, I get it. We, I now understand because of mm. effects of child abuse and how it's led them. For sure, for sure. To be. I, I thought it was, it's hard to pick out one of his films as his best, but I really took a lot from that film. As a matter of interest, we're going back and, and examining his work, and, like the likes of Shane, were there things that you picked up on maybe? And, and well, on, I was interested in that it was his second film and that it, again, it's almost... Um, uh, based on a study of Michael Fassbinder's body. Mm. Like both of them are centered on the body in one, the, 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 and it's not about their bodies. Like it's, they're both cerebral uh, struggles, but in one, there's a political struggle for freedom that is played out through the person's body. And the other is, is an, an intellectual entrapment or a, a, an emotional entrapment and the body becomes this imprisoning structure um, 
but it, the body is the playground or the, the, the battleground for, for these kind of emotional states. And I found that really interesting. I really found them to be very closely related in, in a certain way. And I hadn't seen that before when I was watching them before. So here's that. That was me throwing out a big intellectual <laughs> argument at him. I'm sure he will tell me to take a run and hike for myself. But um I found it really interesting watching the, you know, he hasn't the largest body of film work. There's only, is it, is it five films? Uh, be in and around that. Yeah, there's like, yeah. Yeah, Widows and yeah, 12 Years. Widows and 12 Years a Slave and then Small Axe. Yes. And it's interesting to see how he becomes, you know, even though he started with a film about uh, uh, the, an IRA hunger striker, his films become more political as he, as are more straightforwardly political as he as he gets older. Like it's interesting watching the politics in Widows, for instance, mm-hmm. her son getting killed, getting murdered by the police uh, when they pull him over in a car was kind of very interesting. And and it, you know, obviously these were problems, uh, policing problems have been you know uh, very prevalent in American society. But it, it it's before George Floyd, you know, and it's before all of those. Uh, those massive outpourings of 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 agitation and um that happened this this summer like that was 2016 was it 2015 2016 but um so it's interesting watching all of those and and how he made a a sort of genre film and yet it's it's so much more than that there's a lot going on in that film you know we got to start thinking like professionals we're in business together there's not going to be some cozy reunion. After this job, we're done. We have three days to look and move like a team of men. The best thing we have going for us is being who we are. Why? Because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mark, just to move away from all things Steve McQueen now and just with yourself, mm-hmm. like last year, Rialto, I thought was oh, such a superb piece of work and to see your play trades. I think just what oh, I think what Tom Von Lawler did. Tom Von Lawler was terrific. Everybody in it. involved. Peter Mackey Burns, your director. I think mm. everyone did such a superb work with that movie. And we mentioned you mentioned there at the top as well about how lockdown happened so soon after uh, the film festival. For you, 
with the birth of your film and it's about to get out there and it gets a there's a short window of a release and then boom everything uh, has to well we, we we were to go to cinemas in may so that stopped and then we pushed it back a little bit into the autumn and then we opened it on a week that the cinemas got closed in dublin but were open down the country um, and really, it's a kind of a Dublin film, you know, so we were expecting our biggest audience there. And then the, the cinema is entirely closed down. So it's been mostly an online release. You know, people have been really great about it. And I've heard back from people. But, you know, you'd miss the cinema experience with a film like that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a little bit disappointing. But like in the great scheme of things. You know, it's not it's not the greatest tragedy in the whole world. And the film is still there, you know, and people can still access it and see it. And uh, Mm. and Tom Von Lawler's great performances. And then it won quite a few awards at the IFTAS, which was really nice for us. Tom Von Lawler won and I got one for the script and all of that. So it was really nice to kind of in a year of disappointments of of like not getting the cinema release that you were hoping to get and all of that. It was nice to have a little reminder that people still cared. <laughs> Absolutely, Mark. Um, in terms of the lockdown, how, how have you used this time um, as a matter of well, have you, you know, been I've, been, I've been very busy, actually, with the not huge amounts of acting. I went over and did a couple of days on Brassic, which is this um, Sky television series, uh, comedy series over in, so I filmed over in Manchester, which was interesting. I did a, a day or a, a little bit on, a, on a, a film up in Donegal, which was kind of interesting. Uh, a nice scene working with Cosmo Jarvis, which like, he's such a brilliant actor, oh my God. Um, so that was kind of sweet. It's a, it's a feature by um, Antonia Campbell Hughes. I'd done a short for her the year before and all of that. So it was lovely to see her, but she as well and her whole team were battling with lockdown. They, it was, you know, lockdown had happened, but films were allowed to continue. But the, you know, the, the testing regime and blah, 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 going over to Manchester, I had to get tested before I went. I got tested there. I got tested every day I was on set. I came home. I had to lock down for five days and get tested again. So I, like, I feel like a crash test dummy at this point. I've been tested out the wazoo, but um, but with writing, I've had a lot of writing. You know, I uh, I've been one of the writers who have been doing the uh, the new Sally Rooney adaptation of Conversations with Friends for Lenny Abrahamson. It's the same team that made Normal People, so we're going into production with that pretty soon. Uh, I think uh, March, I think, or April. So that's been great. Been been very busy with that. I've written a couple of plays, uh, one of which is going on in Sweden later on in the year. And hopefully if the theatre festival is up and running, I'll have one in the theatre festival as well. You know, adapting books for American television. So I'm in the middle of adapting a John Boyne, um, The Heart's Invisible Furies. So it's been a lot of work, actually, especially there's a lot of there's a lot of feeling of let's get a lot of material ready to roll when we're fully up and running and open again. Um, so writers have been very busy, but I think the acting world has suffered, especially theatre actors, or, you know, the theatres have now been officially closed for a year, um, which is a bit shocking. A bit yes. shocking. Mark, just in terms of projects over the years and where mm-hmm. they have just been such an incredible experience from start to finish because you know it's it's a business which has so many ups and downs mm-hmm. but with Adam and Paul if I've, I remember reading an interview you did in the past where you said basically from start to finish it was like a dream project it was just like every really facet of it, a facet, it was just like one of the great experiences 
Well, it was it was a it was a it was a dream project in lots of ways because I had nothing to do with the film industry. Basically, I was working entirely in the theater. I'd written a couple of plays that were an hour long that went on at lunchtime in Bewley's Cafe Theater, and the producer Johnny Spears came to see one of them. He was a friend of a friend of uh, of he was a friend of the guy who ran the theater actually, and he said, "Do you have any stuff that you would have toward a, 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 a feature project?" I threw him a page that I might as well have written on crayon, in crayon on a, on a page about Adam and Paul. It's sunrise to sunrise. And I gave them a few sample scenes that I had written. And he hooked me up with Lenny Abrahamson and Lenny really liked what I was doing. And so Johnny, the producer said, well, why don't you write a script for us? We'll commission you to write a script. And I was like, how on earth do I write a screenplay? <laughs> and actually, I did it by trial and error by, you know, sending pages over to Lenny and going like, what do you think of those pages? And he go, I like that. I think you could follow that there. And we basically kind of, I don't know, we, we, we pulled it out of nowhere and then we got some money to make it. And then I wasn't really supposed to be in it, but then through a, a set of circumstances, I suddenly found myself acting in it. And it was a really fun time making the film. But I, I, as well as that, there were no expectations. We didn't think about the audience, you know, whether we were going to get a massive release or whether anybody, we thought maybe it would play, you know, brilliantly in the IFI or something and people will go and see it and my friends would really like it and blah, blah, blah. But it became something else in our lives. And uh, I think it was because we didn't second guess it in loads of ways. We didn't, we didn't, we just made what we wanted to make. How much of it, though, uh, uh, was it a life changer for you, Mark, though? Because suddenly it comes out, it gets all the acclaim, and now you're being seen, you know, in a, in a completely dis- different sphere. Did you notice that suddenly there were more calls for, you know, your writing I, work and, and your acting? Well, you know, I, I watched the finished film in, a, in the edit suite in the little cinema they had out the back, and Tom Murphy was with me, Tom, the late, great Tom Jordan Murphy. And I turned to him after we'd seen it and I said, Jesus, I'm going to get loads of work out of this. I was unemployed for two years after. (laughs) As an actor, I didn't, I couldn't get arrested. I did some theatre work. I got no film work, no television work, nothing. But I got loads of writing work. So I I followed that. I mean, uh, but I mean, in reality, it did change my life. Uh, It made me feel confident about what I had done and it made me feel very they're very there's not very often in your life where you get a project where when you finish when you're finished with it you go I'm so happy with that I love it or that same day with Tom Murphy I also said to him nobody can take this away from us because I thought he was brilliant in it I really loved the film I, I couldn't wait for people to see it now, with other projects, you feel, you know, you know, some of times it can be a hard slog to get something made and you battle away. And, and so it's tinged with kind of pushing things through and you you might like it, but you might have reservations about it or you might think, oh, I wish they'd done this. Or I wish with Adam and Paul, there was none of that. And, and then the, the relationship that you would have had then with Lenny in sort of yeah. pre-production mode. But then does that change then when, you know, you're now in front of the camera, he's director, he's under a lot of pressure to get certain shots on the day. How did that relationship, did, did it change as a matter of interest at all? Um, I don't think it really changed. I mean, I was very nervous about the acting because I hadn't really done film work before. Mm-hmm. And 
it wasn't supposed to be me being in it. And also Tom was phenomenal like he arrived on set with this character working so I really had to up my game Lenny is really brilliant with actors though you know and there was never a feeling that I was in the way or intrusive or that our or that there was a, a deterioration in our in our relationship you know uh but it was a different it was a different thing when you're when you're acting you're only thinking about yourself really <laughs> You're thinking about angles. Do I look good here? Uh, and so there was a bit of that going on. So I, it didn't feel like I was, I think there was one day where I had to do some rewrites and I had to go home after a day's shoot and do some rewrites. And I realized my brain was completely shut down. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get any kind of sense out of myself. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was really, it was a joyous time, you know. Following up Adam and Paul then with Lenny again with, with Garage, Again, was that a, was that a difficult sell initially, or does it, or is it easier to get over the line now because this is the team behind Adam and Paul? I think that um, uh, we had been working on something else. I'd been writing something else for Lenny, and then I came over to his house one day and I said, "Look, I've got this story," and I told him the story, and he was like, "That's the film I want to make." So it was like, okay. So we talked to Ed, and Ed went, "Okay, let's go ahead with this one." Um, Simon, Simon, uh, who was in charge of the of the film board at that time, got really behind us, and he was like, "Okay, I, I really dig this." We decided, you know, that I was going to write it for Pat in, you know, in particular. That didn't seem to be a problem. Like the film was what it was, you know. Um, I think that that. Uh, where it, it, people might have had to take a sort of a deep breath with it. They were also very supportive. You know, they knew that, that this was what Lenny wanted to make. They knew that Ed was really behind it and they liked the script when it arrived. And then we got Film 4 behind us. Film 4 were really interested in Lenny at the time. They were really interested in what he was doing after Adam and Paul and they wanted to be a big supporter of, of his. So it came together very easily. Just before I let you go, Mark, yeah. um, people will be obviously very keen to see you're in conversation with Steve McQueen, March 5th. But my final question to you is, you know, you've been busy in front of the camera behind us um, as a writer, composer mm. as well. That was also noted that. What about directing, Mark? I know you've been asked about this in the past. Like, I, I, is it ever fermented away? That you would think of doing you know, it? I would say never say never, but um it means you have to be in charge of people. I'm just not very good at that. I'm not very good at I think I'd become tyrannical. It could be a very dangerous thing. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine you being like that. <laughs> Mark, it's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you Great so much pleasure. for your time. Absolutely. Cheers. Mark O'Halloran there speaking with Gordon Hayden. If you're interested in seeing Mark's In Conversation with Steve McQueen on March 5th, head along to diff.ie for more details. On our next edition of the podcast, we'll be talking to Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth, whose film Supernova kicks off this year's Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival. You don't want to miss that interview with Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth discussing Supernova and their Volta wins. So good. That's it for another Hooked On. A big thanks to Virgin Media Ireland. This episode was produced by Gordon Hayden. I'm Fanula Jay, and I'll chat to you again on the next Hooked On. <laughs>